So we are going to be diving into the Word today, and I've never not wanted to preach as much as I don't want to preach today. I've never been um, as aware of the potential to be hypocritical as I speak. All will become clear. I will confess all, maybe. Um, or you will, maybe. Um, so we, um, as a church, are being invited by the Lord on a journey. That's all of us, me included. This is not you, that the leadership is inviting you on behalf of the Lord on a journey. This is us, as a church family, on a journey. That journey, Tim brilliantly unpacked the beginning of it last week. David is going to brilliantly um, unpack the next bit next week, and I get a little bit here. And the, the, the sense of what we are believing the Lord is calling us into. Can, can anyone remember what Tim was speaking about? The clue is in the bubbles. It's, it's bubble for Jesus. Spirit-filled living was the grown-up phrase. Um, bubbling, not fizzing, and just fizzing out. This bubbling, this sense of being filled by the Spirit as we live, not just as a one-off moment, not just occasionally, not just on a Sunday, but this Spirit-filled living. So Spirit-filled living is the, the kind of the first anchor, if you like. Then today, what we're going to unpack is wholehearted worship. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then next week, David is going to be unpacking authentic relationships. All of these are kind of the means by which we can go on the journey that the Lord has been calling us on over recent months and years, which is to grow stronger in faith, deeper in prayer, and bolder in witness. We can't do that without becoming wholehearted in worship. We can't grow stronger in faith, deeper in prayer, bolder in witness, without spirit-filled living, without wholehearted worship, without authentic relationships. So what we're in at the moment, this kind of series, if you like, is setting us up for hopefully stuff that you will hear all through the year, because it is this invitation for more than we've had to date. And so wholehearted worship is where we're pausing today. Now, it would be very easy for me to just sort of stand Shania there and say, here's one we prepared earlier. <laughs> just do that. Because what Shania models, just picking on you, you do such a great job again. What Shania models is wholehearted worship when we're worshiping, when we're singing. But for the sake of all of us, because not many of us will ever have the gifting that the Lord has given to Shania, because she's a unique individual, I don't want us to actually think about the singing type of worship today. I want us to think about the lifestyle of devoted followership to Jesus in regards to our wholehearted worship, whether you sing or not, whether you can sing in tune or not, whether you should be the furthest person away from the microphone or not, it doesn't matter. It's about this wholeheartedness that the Lord is calling us into. And since I knew that this was the one that I was going to be speaking on, I've been squirming and squirming on my own about it. I even tried to get out of it last week didn't I, David? <laughs> because as Tim was sharing, I felt, he's got some revelation. It would be really good. We could just let him go again and speak on wholehearted worship because I feel he's got some revelation to carry. It's like, let's Tim do this. Let's Tim do this. Because mine is just a bit more uncomfortable and his sounded great. I want to hear that. And David wouldn't let me. Um, so, <laughs> but we tried. We tried. Listen, has anyone, by show of hands, has anyone ever been on Zoom Okay, okay. Some didn't put their hands up. Is that because you can't put your hands up? I don't mean that as a, you know, some judgment on your physical ability, but, you know, if you can put your hands up, have you been on Zoom? 
Now, you see, some people who didn't put their hands up now can. They suddenly remember, oh, yeah, I can work my arm. <laughs> At home, you have to use your little emojis for your thumbs up. Have you been on Zoom? I was going to say you are now. You're not now. You're on Facebook or YouTube or something else. I don't know what else you could be on. Um, but anyway, okay, hands up now. If you've ever been on Zoom, like on a laptop or on a computer, and at the same time been on your mobile phone. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we, we, we have been, let's be honest, we have been on a Zoom looking like we're engaged, nodding occasionally, and down here... You know, we've been just doing something else, right? Okay. Have you ever been in a... By show of hands, we're, we're in this together, folks. I need you. Um, have you ever... Thumbs up at home um, or hands up at home. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone in a social gathering where they've been talking, you've been listening, but really the ones you're listening to are the people behind because their conversation sounds so much more interesting? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take your laughter as your hands up, okay? <laughs> have you ever, this is parents, have you ever had your child talking to you and you're listening with your eyes and then they suddenly ask you a question and you think, oh, I don't know. What were you saying? And then you have to admit you don't know what they're saying. Okay, and for the sake of fairness, young people... Um, have you ever been listening to your parents go on and on and on, saying that your earpods, airpods, things in your ears were off, but actually just listening to them and looking at your parents like this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you ever, some of you, have you ever been in a more intimate moment and suddenly thought, oh, I wonder if I put the dishwasher on? <laughs> no? <laughs> I've never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have this amazing... I really have. Um, we have this amazing ability to be distracted and not actually present to what we are pretending we are present to. If we can do that in our human relationships to one degree or another... Is it possible we do that with Jesus? And here's where it starts to get uncomfortable because we're shortchanging Jesus. When we realize our capacity to shortchange humans, to not be present in the conversation, to not be present in the room, and then we consider the journey that Jesus is asking us on, to be wholehearted in worship. That is wholehearted, fully there, present, engaged. It's not just about how noisy we can get. It's not just about how exuberant and how high our hands can go and how loud we can clap and how much we can cheer. It's about our heart condition. Are we all in? And because the Lord is inviting us to become wholehearted, the uncomfortable realization for me is, that means we're not yet. And because he's inviting the whole church on this journey to become wholehearted, that means I'm not yet, and you're not yet, and you're not yet. And that feels really uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable to say it to myself, let alone to you. Now, in the Ephesians um, verses that we've got for this year, the very first of it, um, 
I, I do have to, I almost feel like I should apologise. We've celebrated the tech team, but, but I think it's Michael on words, and I'm just going to mess up every order, everything I sent here, and I'm not going to obey my own rules. Um, but near the beginning, I did know I did put Ephesians up. The very beginning of Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, which is our verses, it may, may appear on the slides on the screen. He's now going to go, I'm not going to bother if you're not going to work with me, Helen. Oh, there you go. It says, be very careful then how you live. We're just going to stop there. We're just going to stop there. And we're going to be careful to consider how wholehearted are we really. There's a story in the Bible. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to read it all to you. I've only put one verse on. We'll come to that in a minute. But there's a story in the Bible, and it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in other words, all of the three first Gospels, it appears in that. And when a story appears in all of them, you kind of think, okay, we're really meant to listen to this story. There's something in this story for us. But this is a story that I've been super familiar with and arrogantly cocky and thinking, <laughs> poor dude. Um, because this is a story about the rich man who came up to Jesus when Jesus was in the crowd and Jesus was with his disciples. And do you remember how the story story goes. He came up and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around with love in his eyes and heart and says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. Now, I believe he says that with a smile because he can see into this man's heart. And you see, this man is not just a rich man. If you read all versions and you read in every single version and translation that you can get, and if you read in all gospels, he is a religious leader. He is a God-fearer. He turns up to worship. His lifestyle is after the Lord. And the reason I think Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good, with a smile on his face, is because he can recognize that this man is actually recognizing that Jesus is God. There's a spiritual moment going on here. And Jesus is there, and the man is there, and he's saying, good teachers, like, you're calling me good? You're calling me God? And the man's going... What must I do to be saved? Let's this continue conversation go on. We'll go with it. We'll call you God. And Jesus says, what does Jesus say? I think there's some people in the room who know, even without looking at it. Jesus says, what does he need to do? Before that, before that, he says, oh, let's just turn to it. It's not going to come on the screen. Um, Luke 18, and um, I'll just read this. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, verse 19, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And to this, the rich man, the religious man is going, job done. I've done all that. I've, I, I've never committed adultery, he says to Jesus. I've never murdered anyone. I've never stolen anything. I've not given testimony falsely. Oh, you might just be. Um, and I've honoured my mum and dad. They're the best. Go, mum and dad. Whoop, whoop. He felt so good about himself. I've done all that, he says. And then Jesus recognises this man's capacity to not be wholehearted. Although this man thought he was wholeheartedly following he sees the part-heartedness. And the verse, if you read this in the new, the, the NET, what's that, the New English translation? When he says about the wholeheartedness, this is what the man says in the NET. And this should come up on the slide because this is the only verse I gave them. I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. Like forever I've been good. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and give the money to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, this is the point. I've always sat back a little bit smug. Don't have much money. I'm all right. I went for two charities. Of course, I don't have much money. Got three kids. Of course, I don't have much money. You know, um, I've, I've honestly, I've sat back at this point and gone, must be really tough to have money. Sucks to be them. But of course, I forget the majority of the world, just momentarily, that I am on the most rich list, as are we all privileged to be, even if we're struggling to pay our bills. We're privileged enough to have a bill to struggle to pay. But what does money represent? Just momentarily. Because this man was a religious leader. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to follow God wholeheartedly. He was a bit like the big brother in the prodigal story where he was at home slaving away doing the right thing. He was doing the right thing by the Lord. Sorry, I'm moving around too much. I'm so sorry. But this man's riches in his part heart that hadn't been yet given to the Lord, what does money do? It enables him to be self-sufficient. It enables him to meet his need first. It demonstrates he's got responsibility. It demonstrates he's got authority. It demonstrates he's got power. It demonstrates he's got independence. It demonstrates he's got capacity. It demonstrates he can fix his needs pretty much. It demonstrates if he wants to go on holiday, he can go on holiday. Don't know if they did that in those days, but we'll bear with. If he wants to buy a loaf of bread, he can provide his own bread. He doesn't need to ask anyone, can I go get bread? Can we afford that I get bread? He can just get bread. The Lord wants to be the daily bread. Does that mean we shouldn't have any money? Does that mean if we're going to demonstrate as wellspringers, we're going to all sell everything and give it to extend? Well, that would get us there quicker. We could say that, but that's not what the Lord is saying. What it is is recognizing what's in the part that we're holding back just in case. What's the bit that we don't tell people because, well, if they knew that, they might not like me. What's the bit we don't bring to God well, because if, if I ask you to heal me and you don't, isn't it better that I didn't ask? Because I don't want to not be healed? If I don't ask you, Lord, to fix this relationship problem, then I'm not going to be disappointed when it doesn't get fixed. If I don't bring this challenge at work, to you in prayer, that's okay because it means I don't have to take you to work and admit where I was on a Sunday. And I'd rather just go to work, pay the bills, get my job done, and then just talk about Jesus at home and at the weekend. And I'd rather not let people know that this is me at work because they might think bad of me. There's this compartmentalizing that we can all do like we do on Zoom when we're on our mobile phone, that we can be in the presence of Jesus, but actually there's just this little bit over here that we're just distracted by and he's not there because he can't have access to what we don't give him access to. And this religious man makes me uncomfortable because I suddenly realize in the story that I listen to so often, you know, when in, 
in this actual moment, Peter, Peter is me now. Because Peter's response, because those who heard him said this, then who in the world can be saved? And Peter immediately, we've left our homes to follow you. We're all right. Look at us. And when I've heard this story before, I think that's how my response is. And I've gone, yeah, do you know what? And Jesus goes on, I assure you that everyone who's given up a house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. And we all go, who do I give my children to? No, I've never thought that. But we, we have this moment where we sit there smugly and say, yeah, I'm in boots and all, but are we? Are we? I'm not so sure now. I've not been faking it all these years. I haven't. I've brought the whole, but I think there's been a part that I've not realized is not in. I've held back just in case. Like this religious leader, I held back some money in the bank. Just in case. It's mine. I don't need to ask the Lord about that. He knows. If he wants to have it, he can tell me. There are many, many psalms. We heard one earlier as Tim opened this service up. There are many psalms where the wholeheartedness is looked at. And sometimes it's called purity of heart. And sometimes it's called wholeheartedness. And there's kind of this flip between the two. And David understands what it is to have a divided heart. Because as much as he was the father's heart and his heart was entwined, he also went through seasons where he was, he was really, really compartmentalized in his heart. And he switched off from the Lord in order to focus on things of the earth and things for himself. But in Psalm 86, verse 11, it says this, and we're going to get this in two different versions. In the NLT version, which is my typical version that I would use, would say this, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. And I love that version because, oh, yeah, purity. I just want to be nice. I want to be kind. I want to be loving. Give me purity. But then the NET says this, the pesky version. Oh, Lord, teach me how you want me to live. Then I will obey your commands. Make me wholeheartedly committed to you. And again, I'm reminded, what, am I not wholehearted? And again, the Lord says, well, I want you to become wholehearted because this is the journey that we're on, that there isn't anything that you're holding back, that you are completely and utterly wholehearted, that the Lord could say anything, do anything, and without second guessing or saying, are you sure, or referring it to another person, just responding to the Lord intimately and passionately and wholeheartedly present, not going on my mobile phone at the same time. James was one of, um, was one of Jesus' brothers. He was a follower of Jesus as well, which if you've had a brother, you know that you might not want to follow them, but you know he did. And he got um, the opportunity to write to believers. And when he had this opportunity to write to believers, he recognized this tension. Now, these imagine we're in a lifetime. Okay, so Jesus has not long, in many ways, been resurrected. Within a lifetime, James is still alive. But within the lifetime of James... The believers, the followers are already wrestling with the tension of not being wholeheartedly following Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, this will come up on the screens. In James 4, so I'm going to jump, oh, oh, you're putting it up, I'll read it. 
because I told them to put it up, but I was then going to not read it all. Okay, I'll read it all because this is the quarrels and the stalemates. It is important. It sets the scene. From the beginning of chapter four, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? This is James talking to the believers. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take, take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. <gasps> the challenge to the rich man where he said, but I've, I've not committed adultery. And here, James is referring to the quarrels and the disagreements and the coveting, something that you've not. He's not said about someone else's partner. It's just about things in life as if that's a form of adultery. Too uncomfortable. Don't you realize that friendship will, with the world makes you an enemy of God? Not friendship with people. He doesn't say being friends with someone who doesn't know Jesus makes you an enemy of God. No, 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 no. So don't hear the wrong thing. He said friends with the world. In other words, the culture, the way of thinking, the lifestyle of the world. And this is so hard because it looks so good in the world and it's so colorful and pretty. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What, what about just on Mondays? Or just maybe Mondays to Fridays, right? We can kind of hang out that way. Or just on student night, or just, not that I go out on student night, or just on, you know, just on Wednesday night or Tuesday night at school May night. You know, whatever is the thing. Verse 5, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand up against such evil I can't say, evil desires. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Listen, verse 7, pay attention. So, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I just need to say that verse again. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. If the Lord is calling us as a church family to become wholehearted, it is because right now we have divided loyalty. And because he loves us all so much, this is all of us. This is not the person sitting next to you. I mean, it is. It's not just the person sitting next to you. It's not just the people sitting in this room. It's the person standing on the platform. It's the people standing around. It's the people at home. Sorry, I know I could just be offending you all. And maybe next week there'll be more seats for visitors. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. And it's meant to be. Because if there's any chance of divided loyalties in our hearts, and the Lord is saying like he did to that man, 
This is the way. And as James says, it's just owning our junk. For all of us, it's slightly different. I wonder if the band could come up. For all of us, it will be slightly different. But I want us to think, honestly, we're not going to share this unless you want to with someone you want to choose to talk to about this. But where might there be divided loyalty... For me, there's been several situations recently where I found myself present in body with people I know and love and, you know, as part of something I know and love, but not being there completely. I've had conversations with people where I've not been there completely. I've had conversations with the Lord where I don't think I've been there completely. At the time, I thought I was, until this pesky sermon title. And then you think, actually, yeah, do you know what? I don't know if I am. A hundred percent. 2021, for me, one of the things that um, came into my life um, was panic attacks. I was given some news that were not about me, but about somebody I really, 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 really love. Not him. Oh, that makes it sound. I really did too many. A fan. I'm not. Oh, my gosh. I've just done a terrible confession. No, it's, it, it, it's a family member. And um, the, what I was told about them caused such a deep, such deep pain and deep tur- turmoil and... Um, to the point where I had some panic attacks. When I tried to lay down to go to sleep, it was like this, I, I lost the ability to breathe and just, just lost the plot. And then, you know, that, that's happened a few times. I've had a panic attack in the gym, that was weird. Kept going on the whatever it was machine that I never know how to pronounce what it is. It just hurts, you just keep going until you get off and you're done. But when I got off, I had to go sit in the car. It's like, I... Now that... I don't want to belittle anyone who is having a mental health crisis who needs medical help. Get medical help. Arguably, maybe I need to, but, but what the Lord is showing me, and this is a work in progress, folks. I'm just being really raw. What the Lord is showing me is that's in the part that isn't yet given to the whole. Because if it was in the whole, I would trust him with the outcome, even if the outcome is not what I want the outcome to be. And I would trust him. But right now, there's still that place that you think, well, do you know, I really don't want that outcome, Lord. But do you trust me, Helen? Yeah? Sure. What's in your part? Because this is the journey the Lord is calling us on. So what's in the part that the Lord wants today so that we as a family can move forward wholehearted in our devotion and followership to Jesus, not holding anything back, even the really painful bits. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song, and a lot of you will know it, but I don't want you to start singing it. I don't want you to get all religious and think, oh, this is what I know we do. We stand. Or if they don't say, do we stand yet? Can we stand yet? You know, that awkward moment. Oh, hands up now. I don't want any religious stuff. All those are good things, by the way, when they help. But I want us to stay quiet and let the band, the musicians, the instrumentalists, the vocalists prophetically bring their gift to sing over us as a people for us in our own words, in our own way to do some business with God and ask him if we dare what's in the part that's not yet submitted, what's in the part that's not yet given over. And as James said, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, the process of pain is to be lifted after. But we can't get there without going through. So Shania and the band are going to lead us by singing over us while we do whatever we need to do. If you need to stand, kneel, cry, whatever, just this is between you and the Lord. And when we feel in the room that the room is responding to what we know the Holy Spirit wants to do, then Shania will in time invite us to stand and sing and join in fully, wholeheartedly, unrestrictedly. But until we sense it, we want to pause in the moment. Is everyone okay with this? Are you all regretting coming to church now? Okay, they're going to start. But just before they do, Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to help us with our divided, compartmentalized hearts. Holy Spirit, show us what is the part that is not yet fully handed over that we've kept back because it's too painful or it hurts too much or we don't trust you enough to do what we want you to do. Holy Spirit, I give you my loved one who is more yours than mine anyway. I give you all my loved ones, the ones who are going through the stuff that I know and the ones who I don't know what they're going through, but I give them to you and say, Lord, I want you to be sovereign, not only in my life, but their life. And I trust you not only with my life, but I choose to trust you with theirs. So Lord, for us as a people, make us completely wholehearted for you. Just where you are, keep praying. The band are going to sing. Kia bata.